following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We are at Minute 30 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how are you doing today? Well, Brad, while it's not as long and as distinctive as Ming's, I do also have a goatee. So I'm just currently wondering what I could do to get Aura to touch my goatee the way she touches Ming's. It's just, just something I'm pondering. <laughs> so, so, so basically your move is going to Aura's like, touch my goatee like I'm your father. Yes, exactly. Yes. Treat me like your father. This is such a weird movie. <laughs> <sighs> That's for sure. We have a very special guest. Eric, please introduce our guest if you don't mind. Yes, we have Joey Infante. Joey, please tell our listeners uh, uh, your, what, your podcasting background, where, where they can hear you. All right. Um, I have a couple of different podcasts I've been doing. Um, right now, I'm doing the Horror Mafia podcast and another one called Slice and Dice Shredcast. Both of them are horror movie reviews. One is more in-depth and analytical with a little bit of schlock. The other one is just straight schlock, having a good time, cracking jokes, Busting Chops, both adult shows. Um, definitely don't let the kids listen. And uh, I've done another one called Death by Podcast, which was very analytical and in-depth looking at horror movies of all sorts from classics to obscure to movies that make you cringe. Right? Um, we, we, we tackle disturbing films and anything. But um, the, and all those can be found on the Horrorphilia Network of Podcasts, which unfortunately... At the time of recording, is the network's down, but um, you know it, it should be up and running. Hopefully, by the time this is actually live. Oh, good. Well, it's it's good that you're uh, used to stuff that makes you cringe, because as I alluded to in our intro, there, this is definitely a minute that's got something that's really going to make you cringe. <laughs> oh yes, indeed. Yeah, they don't have to be horror movies to make you feel like a little. A little creeped out and cringy, so, uh, and this is definitely one of those moments. But, uh, Joey, we're really excited to have you uh, with us. We're going to, and we'll delve a little deeper into, you have a really interesting background, and you have an established relationship with Eric, and uh, we're going to go into that more. And uh, and also, got to tell you, kick-ass radio voice. Right, right, <laughs> Eric? Oh, absolutely. Nice and deep. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, oh, we're, we're, yeah, we... Uh, very, this is going to be pleasing to the ear for our yeah. listeners. The, uh, the the producer of the network, when I started with them, he's like, are you sure you're not Vin Diesel? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe in my voice, but not in my gut. <laughs> you're, you're Vin Diesel gone to seed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It's, it's, I bet Vin Diesel gone to seed still doing pretty good for himself. Mm. So uh, there's worse things to be. Definitely. <laughs> So Eric, start us on uh, start us on minute thirty. What happens in this crazy minute? Yeah, well, before we get to uh, the Ming Aura stuff, uh, the start of the minute flashes uh, still fighting. We're in the middle of the fight with the giant uh, green football eggs, and I notice right at the beginning he chucks one 
right into the chest plate of a soldier, and the soldier just gets completely bowled over. And the only thing I could think of is, wow, what great armor. It, it can't even keep this guy standing up against just some giant green thing that's not even a weapon. Yeah. What were those things? We've discussed that. We're not sure. I, I think it's some giant jewel or something. Space melons. Yeah. <laughs> some space Fabre- Fabergé egg, perhaps. Uh, it's definitely sturdy. And boy, it's uh, such a nice coincidence that it's in the shape of a football for the quarterback of the Jets. Right. And green, too. Jet colored. <laughs> yes, and green. Yeah. I, I mean, the song goes perfect with it, too. Football fight. I mean, we're dropped right in the middle of the song where it kicks back in. And uh, I think, you know, I've listened to the soundtrack in prep for this, and that's my favorite tune on on the album, Football Fight. Yeah, this is definitely one of the best songs on the soundtrack, absolutely. Listening to the soundtrack, did you listen to the soundtrack before watching the movies, or did you watch it and then listen to the soundtrack? I'm curious what the uh, the, the order of things was. Well, I, I've definitely heard you know the classic Flash tune by Queen and also Tenacious D. Um, so I've I've always heard of Flash Gordon. I've never seen the movie. This is the first time, so I, I've never actually listened to the soundtrack in full before. But um, like I said, I heard I heard the classic tune plenty of times. But I listened to the soundtrack after I watched the movie. Very cool. Very you know, at some point we're gonna have to find someone who hasn't seen the movie, get them to listen to the soundtrack first, because I'm very curious. That the soundtrack ties in so well with the movie, but uh, I'd be curious to see how someone reacted to just the soundtrack by itself without the context of the movie and what the reaction would be. So that, that'll have to be a social experiment we uh, we we subject someone to. Yeah, because when I listen to the soundtrack, it's you know, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm thinking of exactly what's happening on the screen when I'm. Well, I could tell you right now, I, I was laying in the dark and I felt like I was drifting off in a David Bowie space odyssey. <laughs> it was uh, definitely uh, adventurous. You know, it could take your mind to places if 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 you don't have because the film isn't like totally embedded in my mind. You know, so I'm I'm, it, I'm definitely experiencing it. Not. Like, I can't pinpoint the exact scenes for specific spots, you know? When you listen to the soundtrack in full, it just feels like one long um, score, basically. And um, one other thing real quick was, you know, I'm very familiar with Highlander. That's one of my favorite films. And Queen, that's the other soundtrack that they did. So, you know, I was expecting something, you know, of of top-tier caliber from queen you know how does how did it compare to the flash Gordon? oh i mean i, I i'm biased because like I, I love highlander like i got the dvds vhs's soundtracks you know so i i the sound is definitely different i, I mean i'm gonna go out and say i i prefer the highlander stuff but it doesn't mean that this is bad and it's different you know this is really spacey where the highlander soundtrack is more action-packed kind of you know, like chase, don't lose your head. You know, like going going wild on the chase, and then the emotional stuff. Where here it has that, but I think here it's it's a little more cosmic. You know, that the music is very cosmic. I think that's a good word for it. Yeah, they definitely they were definitely gave it uh, like an old sci fi tweak to the usual Queen sound. Oh yeah. Well, one thing you really have to give Queen credit where uh, this is a band that created two iconic soundtracks for two very different movies. And also, yeah, let's throw in Wayne's World where so much of uh, <laughs> Wayne's World got so much mileage out of Bohemian Rhapsody. That movie is not the same without that scene. So, uh, you know, Queen's music made or helped make three movies. And that's uh, that, 
that, that's impressive. Very impressive. Well, and the uh, the climactic scene of Revenge of the Nerds as a chorus orchestral version of We Are the Champions. <laughs> Mighty Ducks. <laughs> and the Mighty Ducks, too, right? Iconic. It is iconic, man. Going back to the minute uh, where the, 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 the football game's going on, and this might possibly be my favorite moment in the entire movie where Voltan whacks one of the uh, green guys on the back of the head and then looks up in the sky and whistles. And I just love that moment. Yes. I think that says so much about his character, too, because at this point, you don't know too much about the guy yet. And and then as the movie unfolds, you find out, he, you know, he's like a goofy comedic character. Like he, he rules with, you know, the iron fist, but at the same time has a sense of humor. Right. And right there, it's evident with that facial expression, you know, just that slapstick whoop, mischievous grin, you know, and just not caring whether or not. Ming or Clytus sees him do it either because he's right there out in the open doing it. You know, I mean, he's whistling, looking up, but, you know, anyone could have seen him do that. And saying that, it, it brings me to uh, something that I thought about. The people are cheering for Flash. Like, aren't they supposed to be like Ming's peeps? Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, these are people who are living under the repressive heel of Ming and despise him with their every being but can't do anything about it. I guess it's it's odd that Ming allows them all to cheer Flash. He doesn't really seem to care. I guess it's I guess maybe there's a, a crazy minute. But he's shy about cheering for Flash. And that sort of ties into a, a little bit later where when and we're jumping ahead when Ming won't allow Flash's life to be spared, saying he's too dangerous. And he's not talking about Flash being too much. Uh, too physically impressive or too great a warrior. I think that's what makes him dangerous is that he can he can rally the the, the different groups. And as we've talked about in previous minutes, uh, the, I feel like the way Ming is able to keep control of everyone is he, everyone's sort of at each other's throats. And he realizes the danger of Flash is that eh, everyone likes Flash. He, it, that's really Flash's superpower is he's a likable, good-hearted guy. And uh, for someone like Ming, who's sort of has is is not just a dictator but he's just a you know a manipulative bully um a, a good-hearted likable guy is the last thing he needs yeah he, he has the power to to you know captivate you right he has that charisma speaking of charisma he uses that charisma apparently on his daughter so let let's let's get to Minganora and uh we we talked about this last week with our guest on last week when um we mentioned how Ming knew how Aura responded to the hypnotic ring. So this, I think, is even more awkward than that line from last week because Aura strokes Ming's cheek and Temple twirls his goatee, begging the father not to kill him because she wants him. And Ming's response is this sort of not at all recoil and horror that his daughter is doing this to him. Instead, he just kind of looks down at the finger, gently removes her hand, and says, oh, no, 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 he, you know, it's too dangerous. I, I, I don't think so. Who, I, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> he tells her, he tells her her appetite is, is too dangerous and yes. uh, kisses her hand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know how they do things in outer space, but... You know, it was, a, it was a little awkward scene. <laughs> you know what? I think the rules are just different in space. Luke's kissing Leia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ming, you know, basically it's just, it's just 
a stereotypical West Virginia out there. It's it's, it's bad news. <laughs> and there and there goes our West Virginia listenership. Yeah, it's... <laughs> oh, Damn it, we we were so big in that country. I mean, in that state. <laughs> well, the thing is, I I looked at this scene in the original script, and it's actually worse. They tone this down in the original script. The script actually says that Aura touches the rhyme of Ming's ear with her tongue and then whispers to him, but you adore me, father. You can refuse me nothing. Yikes. (laughs) Damn. Just just damn. Well, she's a seductress, you know, like her name's Aura. So she, she has this aura about her. Right. I mean, and just the way they talk about um, Baron, like, you know, what would your Prince Baron say? You know, like your he's yours, you know, like property, like one of your one of your peeps, not one of your peeps, but one of your, you know, groupies or something, you know, like like just another one of her toys. Yeah, as we'll find out soon, one of many different men that she has. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just a plaything for her. It's it's, it's, And this is our first indication in the movie that Aura and Baron are an item also, which of which of course later on the movie becomes a big plot point. And it's such a it's so different and, and this minute really shows in the the difference between Aura and, and Dale. And um we have already gotten a little bit of a taste of the triangle between Flash, Dale and Aura. And you know, you have Aura being the seductress and cooing at Ming and using her feminine wiles. And then in the same minute, you have Dale sort of cheerleading for Flash, giving him a really awkward thumbs up. I was like, <laughs> it just seems like uh, the actress is getting bored by this point, and she seems a little tired. <laughs> the good old thumbs up emoji. You got it, guy. Yeah. <laughs> this is all Don't you. Man. Uh, and of course, that happens right before poor Flash gets clonked on the head by uh, one of the uh, one of the hurled objects because Zarkov's bad at this. Well, also, he I mean, he is a Jets quarterback. I mean, it was he was bound to screw up eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I cracked up so loud when I was not expecting him to get pegged in the head with the thing. You know, it's like Zarkov's just like tossing him. Next thing you know, boop, right off. His- <laughs> Well, it's funny. It, it, it was really funny and slapsticky and stuff, but I also liked it because it was a it was a good way to get sort of out of this scene where Flash needs to be captured. He needs to be, you know, the, the, obviously he can't just beat everybody up and that be the end of the movie. Um, but it was a good way where I, he wasn't overwhelmed. They didn't overpower him. It was basically just slipping on a banana peel and you know the the incompetence of his partner where. It, it was Flash is still shown as the, the toughest guy in the room, um, just but because of some unforeseen circumstance. So it was it was clunky and it was funny, but it was actually you know a good way to get out of the scene. So uh, it, something that sort of worked on a lot of levels. They're, they're sort of protecting the character. Yeah, I mean, it shows that he could you know he could fight, he could kick butt, but he's still a human being. There's only so much he could do, and that shot to the head could knock him out real good. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. They like, like, like you you're saying, Brad. Yeah, they don't beat him. He, you know, his teammate accidentally beats them for him. Beats him for them. Uh, this is another wor- minute where we sort of want to get on the other side of R and Ming because it's a. Uh... <laughs> 
Well, yeah, we can close the book on that with this. Another item difference from the original script here that I found interesting was here in the movie, he says your your appetites are too dangerous. In the original script, though, he says your appetites are too monstrous, even for our family. And I, I, I like that they changed it to dangerous and took away the, the, the even for our family clause there because I think that monstrous is just is the wrong word. Nobody should be more monstrous than Ming in this movie. If he's saying something else is monstrous, I think it diminishes how evil he is. So I, I, I think it, I'm, I'm glad they made that change. Are we allowed to make spoilers? Oh, yeah. We're assuming everyone watch, listen to this has seen the movie. In yeah. the latter part of the film, we see the change in her, right? So, yeah, she couldn't be that the way they presented it in the original script, if that's the case, right? Yeah, she, and this is not an uncommon trope. Um, they are in the sex bomb daughter of the bad guy who's attracted to attracted to the hero. Um, I mean, Batman's done it for years with the uh, the Talia Al Ghul character, and, and it's it's compelling because, but it's it's also a a, a difficult tightrope to walk because she's going to be evil she's going to be you know the the daughter of the evil character as well so but you can't make her unredeemable and they they do this well by you know she she she, she obviously is living the life she wants and she's you know throwing toying with men and throwing them aside and manipulating them as she sees fit and she's she's not completely irredeemable she's she's not a killer she's not a she doesn't even seem to be particularly interested in anyone getting killed. She just is sort of there for her own good times, as opposed to Ming, who's way too much into just killing people for fun of it. And, you know, the, the whole start of this movie, you know, just, just destroying a planet because of, to, to, to fight off board, boredom. So it's a, they, they both, you know, are seeking their pleasure. They just have different pleasures, right? Hers is chasing guys, and his is you know blowing up worlds. Yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, d- definitely different levels of depravity here. Oh yeah, we all have our. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of that, real quick, one thing I, I I just thought was hysterical was in that beginning part when they're showing like all the natural disasters. It's like he already has an Earth button, right? <laughs> the button said Earth on it. it uh, what was it? Uh, earthquake. So it was like. Yeah, we discussed that 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 they had an earthquake button, but had never heard of Earth before. Yeah, this is great. Great minds think alike, Joey. Yes, this for conditioning, and I I I like that. He's he in just the few minutes he talked to Zarkov, he's impressed with him that this pitiful human got him to Mongo. So instead of just killing him, he's going to take this enemy. He's going to use him for his his own purposes. It made me think of if anyone is currently a walking dead fan like negan takes some of his enemies and turns them into people working for him instead of just killing them all yeah i i, I that's another idea i like the he's he's more worth more to me alive than dead and uh, it's a good way to sort of keep these characters somewhat believably in the story so uh yeah i, I I'm, I'm with you i like that it also just shows the value of zarkov and he is a brilliant scientist um uh, not necessarily the best strategist in the world and don't don't let him throw nothing. But yeah, he uh, there there is value to 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 the character. In fact, I even noticed that uh, through all their adventures they've had so far, I just noticed in this minute he still has his pens in his front coat pocket. <laughs> 
How, how is that possible with everything they've gone through? He's still got his pens. This is a guy who's prepared, and uh, you know what? Those 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 pockets they're they're in there tight. So uh, it's good in case he has some notes about what's going on. So I, I, I'm uh good for him. Good for him. Scientists don't mess around. <laughs> you know, I just thought it was. I I think it's interesting that the way they could just condition Zarkov, you know, and uh, the 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 character of Clytus. I mean, we. I don't, were we introduced to him yet? Yeah, we were introduced to him already. I just think, uh, you know, I was not expecting him and all these, I guess, uh, militant characters, the police, to look the way they did. You know, I was just like, whoa, very shiny, very bright. Um, kind of, it kind of does something to you when you watch the movie. It's, I mean, specifically this scene, because this is when you are first getting over there. Um, and you go from the beginning, which is like, you know, classic earth tones, regular, you know, nothing bright, nothing shiny, you know, in the plane. Then when they get into space, you get to transition and, you know, arriving in this room. And I feel like when I was a kid, I all like my only memory of this movie was a red room. And I think I know why. Like, I probably saw this scene in passing maybe on a channel or something. But uh yeah, I, I just I just think it's it's really interesting how they take this character who Clytus who looks like I don't know a demented version of Doctor Doom samurai version I don't know the the, the whole metal face um, interesting character I mean I, you know I was not expecting that guy to be there you know I knew about the main character um, but I didn't had no idea about Clytus so I you know um, as this like enforcer. Um, Ming's right hand man kind of guy. I, I I would like to see more Clytus. Um, I would like to see like you see that brief little scene of torture, but I would like to see like almost like a prequel version. You know, like what was Clytus's life like growing up? You know, how did he get into this? <laughs> when did he acquire the mask? Yeah, Clytus is uh, Clytus is my favorite character in the movie. I love him. I love everything about him. I love his voice. I love his look. I love his golden right sleeve on his arm. Uh, I I would. I would love to see a Clytus. So, somebody must have made a comic book at some point. Uh, it, it just feels like a perfect character for like a prequel comic or, you know, now the era that we're in was Blu-rays and stuff, uh, you know, a short five, 10 minute long movie going into some sort of background uh, would be perfect. So yeah, I agree. It's a great character and a, a wonderful performance. The Clytus, by the way, is not from the old strip. He was created for this movie. He's an original character for the movie. Right. And that, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I wonder, you know, was he in it or not? Like, when did, or, like, you know, let's know that he, he's a new character for this, you know? Uh, now, so, the, 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 it, this originated in the 30s, right? Now, Ming, this character, and, and the whole, like, there's, there's definitely this, like, samurai Asian influence. Now, the, was that from the very get-go? Yeah, he was uh, he was created when the strip came out in the 30s. He was part of that whole racist, uh, you know, sort of you know Asian, you know, mystical, exotic kind of um, sort of the Fu Manchu idea. Yeah, like Fu Manchu exactly. Um, and he he was it was the actual term was called Yellow Peril, and it was basically it started in the late 19th century, and it was just the basis that yeah, people from Eastern Asia are a danger to the Western world. And, you know, I mean, his name is Ming, you know, obviously the Ming Dynasty. His appearance is clearly East Asian caricature. The planet is Mongo, which is basically, you know, Mongol, Mongolia. So that that 
is uh, you know a character created of that time of what was called yeah the yellow peril. It's a, it's sort of something that w- when you're taking on one of these properties is becomes more and more challenging. Uh, the the further further go is like how do you make Ming work? You know, in the you know, 80s it was you know they did what they did. Um, a, a very very similar character that um, that they had to work with was in Iron Man. His main um, villain in the comics for years was the Mandarin, and it was also another very Fu Manchu looking character where, you know, had the long hair and the, the crazy uh, facial hair and it, the long fingernails and the, 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 the Asian robes. And of course it's not really Asian. It's, you know, a 30 something year old white guy artist's idea of what an Asian robe would be. Right. Right. You saw how they tried to deal with that in the third Iron Man movie. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a tough dance to do. And he had probably the eight, 1980 was the last you, the clock was already running out on trying to make that sort of character happen the way he did. So, which, on one hand, this was a great performance, and you know the the costuming and the, the design is so cool. But uh, probably best that we don't do Ming characters anymore because uh, <laughs> it, it makes you feel a little weird watching it. Oh yeah, I just couldn't stop looking at his eyebrows. <laughs> Max Von's Max Von eyebrows. Those are, those are Oscar-winning <laughs> eyebrows. Yeah, he, he should have won those yes. eyebrows. Should have won an Oscar. All right. Well, uh, I think that's a good place for us to to, to stop. This has been a, a great minute. And uh, uh, Joey, you're going to be back with us tomorrow, right? I'll be back tomorrow. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, Joey, where can people again ch- check out all the other stuff that you're doing? You could find me on Facebook, Joey Infante. You'll find links to all my stuff, but you could just, you know, type in iTunes or any of the uh, podcasting outlets, Horror Mafia Podcast or Slice and Dice Dreadcast and sign instead of the word end. Very cool. And uh, we recommend everyone do so. And Eric, where can people find out more about our little slice of heaven here at uh, Flash Gordon Minute? Please come chat with us on Facebook at the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. You can find us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod. And you can send us an email at flashgordonminute at gmail.com. Yeah, we recommend everyone do so. Please rate and review us on uh, iTunes. And, uh, you know, this has been another great minute, Eric. I'm feeling pretty good, but... uh, but I'm not quite right of the hills, Eric. I'm not quite right of the hills. <laughs> Tell me how we can get you left of the hills. We uh, not too long ago we got an Alexa, and uh, you know it's nice. The kids use it. the kids loves asking it to tell them jokes, and when you get weather reports and stuff like that, and it's like, oh, this is great. And then a couple days ago, another Alexa showed up in the mail, and none of us ordered it. And, uh, you know, Amazon said, oh, it must have been ordered by mistake or whatnot. And it's like, no, I, I don't think that's it. I think I think the Alexas are multiplying and they're trying to take over. <laughs> well, if you're concerned that the Alexas look a little bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger, maybe they've got a nickname that's the T-1000. They like to go by the name Skynet on Twitter. Don't worry about all that, Brad. Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute.